This week on Viewpoints. I think in the long run, these people are going to disappear and Dogecoin will fall about 99% lower than it is today. It's just a question of when that's going to happen. Inside the world of cryptocurrency. Then, I think there's still kind of a taboo around talking about money, and it's shifting, but we aren't quite there yet. The touchy conversation of money management. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Bodega, 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 alpha and omega. <clears throat> Siamese sailors sell celery sandwiches. A wing about a serving platter. Hey, Jamie. Yes. Uh, did uh, Did you want to try reading that line on the script there? Oh yeah. Let's see. Uh, you could say big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That one. Yes. Yeah. No. I'm just not warmed up yet. Shouldn't be long. Detector test. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive today. The marmot mangled my mushu pork pancake. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. With 24-7 support and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Many Americans hear the word cryptocurrency and are puzzled at what it really means. It's a digital currency, but how does it work? Where do you buy it? Should you buy it? What's all this craze around Dogecoin? Crypto seems to be driving the future of currency, but there's no doubt that it can sometimes be quite confusing. To wrap your mind around this is very difficult, and it challenges many of your assumptions about the nature of money and where safety and security come from in the financial system and so forth. That's Dr. David Yermak, a professor of finance at the NYU Stern School of Business. He's been studying the rise of crypto for almost a decade and currently teaches the joint MBA and law school courses on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. He says that currently the most popular digital currency is Bitcoin, which was created back in 2008. Think of cryptocurrency like an arcade token that you can use to buy goods or services online. You can buy these digital tokens in exchange for traditional currency, but their value is always fluctuating and can be extremely unstable. One important aspect that's central to cryptocurrency is that it works using a virtual ledger called the blockchain that processes and records every transaction. I think what we're dealing with now is a better accounting system that will be as important in the history of business and commerce as the introduction of double-entry bookkeeping was 700 years ago. And the implication is very simple, that any business where data is important, and so you're talking about healthcare, banking, shipping and logistics, you know, you name it. It's hard to think, in fact, of any industry that doesn't use data very intensively But the blockchain gives you a better way to secure and organize and protect data. Euromax says that the big appeal of cryptocurrency is the impenetrable security of this digital blockchain technology. This process makes it impossible for anyone to counterfeit the currency, while also ensuring that it remains scarce even as more is generated over time. 
Take Bitcoin, for example. Bitcoin is really a computer network, and the supply of Bitcoin increases every 10 minutes when somebody known as a miner wins a block by breaking a code. And when a miner wins a block, new Bitcoin are created and given as a reward to that miner. And so there's a mathematical function that at the start there were 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes, and then every four years that gets divided in half. And so after four years, the reward was cut to 25 and 12 and a half, and in 2025 it will go down again and, and so forth. If you add all this up and you think about issuing coins every 10 minutes in a predetermined quantity, it just so happens that this ends up being 21 million coins by the year 2140. Essentially, anyone could run a program to mine Bitcoin on their computer at home, albeit very slowly. This computationally intensive process also requires a lot of power, and for most people, the amount of electricity it uses cancels out the profit gained from generating new Bitcoin. Instead, most people trade for existing Bitcoin using dollars or even other cryptocurrencies through third-party platforms. Coinbase and Binance are some of the biggest names that people trade through today. And since there's a finite amount of Bitcoin that can ever be mined, the amount in circulation now and in the future is completely predetermined, unlike with traditional currencies. The future supply and the increase in the supply is completely transparent and known in advance to everybody. And it's the total opposite of what the Federal Reserve does by tweaking the money supply at their monthly meetings, you know, based on their expert judgment and maybe a little more of this, a little less of that. This is just a mathematical function that is one of the oldest debates in central banking, whether you should have a predetermined money supply or whether you should give discretion to the experts. And Bitcoin very much is in the former camp, which makes it attractive to people who don't trust central banks. While Bitcoin is the most well-known token, anyone can create their own cryptocurrency and shape the protocols that govern it, such as the scarcity. With many accepted cryptocurrencies booming, it's no surprise that new ones are popping up every day. But ultimately, the value of a new cryptocurrency is not decided by its creator, but by what others are willing to pay for it. So, who's in charge of all these new coins? Nobody is in charge of these networks because all they really are are computer programs that everybody on the network agrees to opt into and to run. So, there's no board of directors or president of Bitcoin, and there's really no way to engage in the seizure of assets or to involve law enforcement because nobody's in charge. So this is really the big innovation, but I don't think most people really understand that there's no entrepreneur or sponsor or authority figure. There's simply computer code that is behind all of this. And for that reason, it's very hard to hold anybody responsible or accountable when things go wrong. The world of cryptocurrency is constantly evolving as new forms pop up. Take the exploding popularity of Dogecoin, for instance. The meme-driven currency that's especially trendy with younger people. It's a token with limitless supply, as opposed to Bitcoin, which has a finite limit on the amount that will ever exist. There's no real investment thesis here other than the mob is all running in the same direction, so I'd better run with them. If you can get out before the mob starts to lose interest, you might actually make money. 
but it's purely based on mom psychology. There's no foundation to any of this based on value, financial analysis. It's simply kind of an expression of group anger at the financial system that is interesting for sure in its own right, that there are so many of these people and that when they work together, they can influence the value of investments to such a degree. But I think in the long run, these people are going to disappear and Dogecoin will fall about 99% lower than it is today. It's just a question of when that's going to happen. While your Mac is skeptical about Dogecoin, cryptocurrency is already a common asset that many publicly traded companies hold on to. Many of the biggest names on the stock market, from Tesla to Google, are heavily invested. There are companies that manufacture the mining hardware. There are companies that transact in Bitcoin. Tesla, most famously, has announced a couple months ago that they are holding Bitcoin as the way to bank some of the cash within the company and also accepting Bitcoin as a form of payment. So increasingly, there really are portfolios of regular stocks in the real economy that are highly correlated with the technology. So I would give the same generic advice to almost everybody, which is diversify as much as possible, but you don't intentionally have to go into crypto because many companies are already doing this. Yermak says that in just the past year, crypto has gained so much ground that many traditional financial institutions are scrambling to get ahead. You and I grew up with paper dollar bills and metal circular coins that we would carry as change in our pockets. All of that is going to become electronic. And you're going to see a digital dollar, a digital euro. The Chinese have taken the lead in this. They already are launching what is called central bank digital currency. But I think the technology behind this, the blockchain, offers such a degree of security that it's all but irresistible to the central banks. And frankly, if the central banks don't move on this, it will be the media companies. And you've seen this already in China with WeChat and Alipay, who have issued digital payment platforms that are, at this point, more popular with the public than the regular banking system. And I think the legacy of Bitcoin, ironically, is that it's going to make the central banks even more powerful and give even more central control, while this was exactly the opposite of what the founders were trying to do when they launched this back in 2008. Cryptocurrency is highly volatile, always changing, and creating new opportunities in the market. But one thing is certain, it's not going away anytime soon. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Dr. David Yermak, visit ViewpointsRadio.org. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, more women are breadwinners than ever before, yet still aren't money savvy. Why? When Viewpoints returns. The Sentinel Group sponsors this paid advertisement for legal services and is responsible for legal services. Attention, have you or a loved one been diagnosed with cancer after using Zantac or other heartburn medications for several months? The FDA has warned that Zantac and other medications containing heartburn drug, ranitidine, may be contaminated with cancer-causing agent NDMA. Zantac may be linked to these cancers, bladder, colorectal, esophageal, intestinal, kidney, liver, ovarian, pancreatic, stomach, testicular, and uterine. If you or a loved one have been diagnosed with cancer after using Zantac or other heartburn medications for several months, call now. 800-946-5112. 
never stop taking medication without first consulting a physician. Call right now for a free consultation. You may be owed significant compensation. Call 800-946-5112. 800-946-5112. That's 800-946-5112. I struggled with symptoms like frequent gas and stomach pain for years. I was bloated all the time with daily diarrhea. At first, I thought it was what I was eating. I kept thinking it was stomach issues. So I did my research and talked to my doctor, and we finally uncovered the truth. It, it was, was actually EPI. Exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI, is a condition where your pancreas is unable to help break down your food. It can lead to symptoms like diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, unexplained weight loss, and oily stools. And EPI symptoms can be confused with those of other common digestive conditions, like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's, and celiac disease. So getting to the right diagnosis meant being more open with my doctor about the severity of my symptoms and how often they were happening. But there's good news. EPI is manageable, so don't wait any longer. Use the symptom checker at identifyepi.com and schedule a visit or call with your doctor to ask, Could, could I, I have, have EPI? EPI? Sponsored by AbbVie. Women now make up over 50% of the workforce in the U.S., according to an early 2020 report released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So what's driving this push? In part, societal shifts that are reshaping gender norms, family dynamics, and the priorities and opportunities women have. Today, many women juggle several roles, and in many households, it's normal to see both partners holding jobs. It's not uncommon these days for women to earn even more than their male partners. But go back to the late 1980s, and only 18% of wives were the primary breadwinners in a marriage where both partners worked. As of 2018, this number has shot up to 30%. Yet so many women today, despite earning an income, are held back by the notion that the world of finance or investment is a man's game or an area that their partner can solely manage. This mentality can put women at a disadvantage by keeping them dependent and in the dark when it comes to personal finance. I think often we have equated being taken care of with being taken care of financially. And what that really means is that you are financially dependent on someone else, and you're leaving your future in their hands. That's Jennifer Barrett, a financial expert, a top executive at the personal investment app Acorns, and the author of Think Like a Breadwinner. Barrett says too often women fall into the trap of financial complacency. I spoke to over 100 women for this book, and so many of them told me stories about how they expected their partner to always earn more and, you know, their partner lost a job or their partner decided to take a job that was lower paying or their partner made some big financial mistakes and left them really vulnerable and suddenly the future that they wanted was at stake. It's so important that we are in a position where we can take care of ourselves and know that we can provide the lives that we want for ourselves irrespective of whether we're married or not. Barrett herself was in a tight position several years back. She had no savings, was living in a small apartment with her husband and young child, and eventually reached a breaking point. She wanted more out of life and decided to step up and become more money savvy. It's still sort of surprising when a woman says, I want to make a lot of money. I say that. I want to make a lot of money. I really do. I'm honest about that because I know what making a lot of money and building my wealth will allow me to do, to provide for my family, to provide the life I want, to support the causes I care about. 
But I think I'm probably unusual in being so open about that. I think there's still kind of a taboo around talking about money, and it's shifting, but we aren't quite there yet. And what's interesting, and there's a lot of data around this, is that we are, again, socialized as girls to sort of believe that if we work hard and keep our head down, we'll be rewarded. And that is often true in school, so it sort of reinforces that. But then we come into the workplace, and that's just not the case. In the workplace, you really need to advocate for yourself. You need to be checking on a regular basis what your market value is, you know, and you can look at any number of resources. There are Glassdoor, Fairy Godboss. There are tons of resources out there where you can get a sense of what people are getting paid, what the range is for the kind of work you're doing in the area where you live. And when you see those numbers, you want to make sure you're at the top of that range, (laughs) you know. And more and more people are advocating for themselves. The Internet has created a massive free database of salary comparisons and resources on how to go about a pay negotiation. Some of the top sites for these income and company rating breakdowns are Glassdoor and Payscale. Barrett says the more you can quantify your value to the business, the better off you are when you have that talk with your boss. In your job, to be very clear about what it is that you need to accomplish in order to move to the next level, what you're going to be judged on. And as much as you can, quantify the value that you bring to your company so that when you do go in there and you ask for a raise or you go for a promotion, you are walking in there with numbers. You are walking in there with quantifiable evidence of how you have brought value to the company. You know, whether it's revenue that you've brought in, new customers that you've brought in, customer retention, or, you know, you've had specific metrics that you've been given and how much you've exceeded them. And then also bringing in data on, you know, what other people in your role are getting paid. And if there's a gap between that and the wages that you're earning, bring that to the conversation because it's really hard to argue with numbers. And that also just takes a lot of the emotion out of it when you can just come in and point to the numbers and say, look, here's the value that I'm bringing. And look, here's what other people doing what I do are making. And there's a gap here. What can we do to close that gap? But sometimes the paycheck may just not be enough to support the life you want. Barrett says that too often people don't zoom out and take a wider look at how their current title fits into their long-term life goals. Does this field of work pay enough? Can you cut down spending and save more? Or are you forced to live paycheck to paycheck? At the end of the day, if you're not bringing in enough money to cover the basics, it's hard to build savings prepare for retirement, and invest in stocks to grow your worth. Barrett points out that ideally, each paycheck shouldn't automatically go towards expenses because ultimately, it's unsustainable. Use every paycheck as an opportunity to be less dependent on your next paycheck. And what that means is that you want to take as much money as you can out of every check you get and put that money to work for you. So putting some money into savings, yes, because you want to have some emergency savings set aside in a high-yield savings account so that if, for example, you lose a job, you've got enough to cover expenses for three months or more is a good gauge. But outside of that, you really want to be investing for your midterm goals, too, not just retirement. And that is so important. I cannot reinforce that enough. Barrett highlights that so many women still hand over many of these responsibilities to their partner or ignore it altogether. And this lack of financial awareness can have an impact in the workplace as well, leading to stagnant career and income growth. 
If you look at the data, women still disproportionately choose the lowest paying occupations and even in the highest paying fields, choose the lowest paying career paths. So that goes a long way toward explaining that data. And I think too often we don't ask that question. It leaves us at a disadvantage because frankly, your income is the springboard for all your wealth building efforts, right? So it's so important that you look at the income you're earning and also make sure you're earning the most you can at any point in your career. Mindset is a big factor that feeds into this uneven distribution of women in the workforce. Barrett says the data shows that women are more apprehensive to even apply for jobs they worry they may not be qualified for, while men will move forward and apply anyways. This apprehension extends past the application process and into salary negotiation, yearly raises, title promotions, and greater benefits. She points out that this is common amongst women at all levels who don't want to come off as rude or ungracious. Now, having been in management now for over a dozen years, I am the hiring manager now. I know how this works. You know, there's a budget range. You know, a lot of times, particularly for mid and senior level jobs, when you make an offer to a candidate, you expect them to come back and counter and ask for more. It is actually expected, but it's not something, again, that we talk about. And I think we should. And there is nothing wrong with asking for more. I mean, be realistic about it. Do your research. See what the market value is out there. You know, look at what you were earning before. But don't let your emotions or any guilt or any anxiety around it keep you from asking for more because you'll really miss out, right? Even if you make $5,000 less a year, there's research that shows over the course of your career, that $5,000 gap, you know, toward the beginning of your career can add up to a million dollars or more in lost earnings over the entire course of your career because your, your raises are based on it. Often your next job is based on it, even if it's outside the company. Even if you're not asked what you're making now, you know, in your mind, you're thinking about what you were making in your past job. So it can have such an exponential effect. Money isn't everything, but it does offer opportunity, flexibility, and stability in life. Make sure you're aware of where your money is going each month, and don't forget to look at the larger financial picture. To find out more about our guest, Jennifer Barrett, visit viewpointsradio.org. Also, check out her book, Think Like a Breadwinner, available now online and in bookstores. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri. Studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free, and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. 
Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. When I was in college, I took a class on detective fiction. We explored the genre's tropes and stylings, and ever since, I've really enjoyed watching how those elements continue to recur and change in modern detective books and shows that so many of us still enjoy. In the first minute of HBO's Mayor of Easttown, Kate Winslet's mayor takes a long drag from a vape pen, an obvious reference to the chain-smoking, hard-boiled detectives of the past, but with a blatantly modern twist. It's fitting, then, as an introduction to a show that will strike many viewers as familiar, but with some notable differences from the stories of the past. The story revolves around a teenage girl being murdered and the investigation that follows. That's familiar. And it takes place in a small town where everyone knows everyone. Also familiar. Still, it's centering of a middle-aged woman who does not always do the right thing, along with her complex, layered family life and dating life, is a bit of a departure from the genre's roots in femme fatales and other seductresses. It's also a contrast to many of the high-gloss HBO mystery series that have come in recent years, like Big Little Lies and The Undoing. The show is constantly pushing and pulling between the retrograde communal relations of a small Pennsylvania town and modern conventions, technologies, and controversies. Its dialogue is sharp, its characters complicated, and its arc is messier than most modern crime shows. In a good way. Ultimately, Mayor of Easttown is well-made, well-acted, and riveting television worth watching. Mayor of Easttown airs Sundays on HBO, and it can be watched on demand or on HBO Max. I'm Evan Rook. Have you wanted to speak a new language but thought it'd be too difficult or take too much time? Then try Babbel. In just 15 minutes a day, Babbel teaches you conversations that you will actually use. With 14 languages and lesson topics like travel, business, relationships, and more, you'll learn what matters most to you. Babbel. Language for life. Learn a new language with ease. Go to babbel.com to try for free. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click safety or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. That's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.